The names are part of marketing legend. The George Foreman Grill, the Juice Man Juicer, Sonicare Toothbrushes, OxyClean, GoPro. Today, we'll talk with the man behind these and other direct-to-consumer campaigns. And now, as the video marketing landscape has changed, he advises small business owners, entrepreneurs, and others to sell while you brand. It's Rick Cesare, author of Video Persuasion, Grow Your Brand, Increase Sales, and Build Your Business on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations. Those are the ones that generate by far the most and most effective word of mouth. That means more growth in revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. On this program, we discuss three foundational components for managing your message. First, the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into an everyday business advantage. My new book is published by Career Press. It's titled The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find a sample on my website, jimcar.com, and of course, you can find it wherever fine business books are sold. Simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Today's guest has helped major brands from GoPro to George Foreman through his concept of sell while you brand. Rick Cesari uses brand response advertising and strategic video marketing in order to do it. His book, Video Persuasion, aims to put the techniques that work for big brands into the hands of everyone, small business owners, entrepreneurs, investors, inventors, Amazon sellers, among others. It began, interestingly, as I learned, with a degree in biology, then work in real estate and business ownership. Along the way, he has been ahead of the curve in direct-to-consumer marketing, and you might be surprised with some of the backstories of those legendary brands and campaigns. Now, Rick is a best-selling author, speaker, consultant, and a big name in marketing and brand strategy. We will use audio and the theater of the mind today to talk about best practices in video marketing. Rick Cesari, welcome to the Manager Message podcast. Hey, Jim. It's great to be here, and thank you for such a great introduction. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure not only to hear some of those stories, but also the connections from the effectiveness of those campaigns and things that our listeners can apply to their businesses, large and small. If we might, Rick, let's talk a little bit as a way to get started about how things have changed in the, we may call it the direct response world, and those things, those foundational pieces that also have remained relatively constant. There was the term years ago called couch surfing. So you picture someone who uh, is watching TV at night or on the weekends, and they're using the remote to surf through programs and decide what to watch. And the media landscape at the time was a relatively small number of popular channels and syndicated shows. And 
For the most part, if someone wanted to buy something there in an ad, they either had to pick up the phone or maybe just wait until they thought about it again and were visiting a retail store. And these direct response ads would come on and you have the announcer and the demos and the personalities and all getting people to call now. Rick, you say as a veteran of that world and today that there's a lot of similarity between the couch surfing of yesterday and online media consumption today. The way people used to sit down and watch TV, they weren't tuning into a regular program. They would sit with their controller and they would flick around. And if they saw something that caught their interest, they would stay and watch whatever that program was. Now, a lot of the brands you mentioned, I use direct response television, also known as infomercials, as a way of promoting or building those brands. And it was a very powerful medium because prior, even during the growth of the internet, people were still watching a lot of TV and believe it or not, they still are today. But they always have the choice of tuning in or tuning out to what that program is. So nobody would sit down in front of a TV set and say, I'm going to tune into an infomercial on the George Foreman grill. But if they're flicking around the stations and they see George Foreman and he's laughing and having fun, all of a sudden they might start to watch that show. And then if the content is interesting enough, the viewer will stay engaged until the end of the program and then hopefully order the product. So you compare that to the way people use the internet nowadays. A lot of times they're browsing through things. And if you don't catch their attention and keep their attention very quickly, which I talk about how to do that in the videos that we create, you're going to lose them. So there are a lot of similarities to old TV watching and the way people use the internet today. Interesting. And you came to what you're doing in a little bit of a roundabout fashion, right? We mentioned in the intro that your degree, I believe, is in biology and you began in real estate. So if you would connect the dots for us a bit, Rick, in terms of how you got to be doing this work in direct response and your own entrepreneurial and business ownership background, how did you get to this point? I'm glad you brought up the degree in biology because people always find that amusing that I really have never studied marketing formally in school. And I was interested in becoming a marine biologist. So I studied biology, have a BS degree in biology, but I was going to school up in Pennsylvania. And when I graduated, I was also interested in, you know, how people would make money. Because when you're young, you know, you want to be successful, you want to make money. And I started reading a lot of books two types of books, motivational books like Norman Vincent Peale and Think and Grow Rich, you know, the classic books like that. And then the other ones were, you know, how people made money. And at the time, I remember reading a statistic that more people had become millionaires through real estate than any other way. So I really started focusing on buying books on how to invest in real estate. And I started doing that. And I became successful on a small level But one of the things I did was educate myself by going to a lot of seminars. And I went to a seminar and did what they said and went out, turned around and did what they call house flipping today. And in about two weeks, bought and sold a house and made $12,000. And for me at 20 years old or 21 years old, that was like a fortune. The person putting on the seminar because of my success asked me to be a testimonial. And we started working together and Before I knew it, I was promoting seminars, and that's how I got started in marketing, by promoting real estate seminars. And just to show you how long ago that was, we were using newspaper ads as a way of driving people to free seminars. 
And, you know, soon we graduated into using television. And that's kind of how I learned the direct response television and putting a time frame on that. We're talking mid 80s to late 80s. And then in 1989, something really changed in my life. And I started a company called Trillium Health Products, which marketed the Juice Man Juicer. And how did you come to that? You developed an interest then in healthy products. Then how do you get introduced to this machinery and this idea about, because that was pretty novel at the time. Yeah, it definitely was. And it it was something that I was passionate about. And it kind of has a personal connection. My father passed away when I was really young. He was 45 years old and he died of a heart attack. And what we know today, it was pretty much could have been prevented because it was lifestyle related. You know, he smoked two packs of camels a day. We had eight children in our family. So I'm sure there was like lots of stress, lots of eating meat, things like that. So I was always very conscious of leading a healthy lifestyle and, again, loved to read. And I started reading about ways that I could stay healthier. And I came across books on juicing, and it just struck me as a neat way to get more fruits and vegetables into your diet, which I'm not a big vegetable eater. So here was an easy way of doing that. I actually heard a lecture by a guy named Jay Cordich, who is known as the juice man now and kind of the father of juicing. And so I kind of combined the techniques that I used to promote real estate, the same marketing techniques, but instead I started promoting juicing seminars. So people would come and listen to Jay talk for 90 minutes and we would teach them all about juicing. And so that was kind of one of the things, marketing lessons I've learned that you can take something that works in one area and use it in another. And the juicing business just took off. The company name was Trillium Health Products, and we had the Juice Man Juicer and the Bread Man Bread Machine. And that company grew between 1989 and 1993 to $75 million in sales. It was like just drinking from a fire hose, which was a great experience. And then at the end of that time, we sold it to a housewares company in Chicago called Sultan Housewares. You're drinking from a fire hose full of juice. Yeah, exactly. Which would make it different than the traditional fire hose that we would think. The brand names, the products that have been very familiar and really helped shape our whole conception of what made for effective infomercials and TV direct response parts of George Foreman Grill and Sonicare and even closer to the present day then with the GoPro. Some of the backstories there I think would be really interesting, Rick, and some of the lessons learned for today. I have to ask you about one thing just to start. My story that I heard is that the George Foreman grill was originally a fajita cooker, something along those lines, that the marriage, if you will, of product to George Foreman and your involvement, this was not the way that it first started out. No, not at all. And you're absolutely right. And it's a great story. Salton Housewares, the company that bought our juicing business, one of the reasons they bought it, and you see this happening in the marketplace today like Procter & Gamble will buy a startup marketing, like is underarm deodorant, even though their sales aren't that big. And one of the reasons they do it is not just to get the product, but to also learn about the new ways of marketing that they don't understand. So back then, Sultan was interested in learning more about this television marketing because of the success of the juicer. And so they brought me two products And one was this fajita maker, and another one was a device that you could make bagels at home. 
and I didn't think that that was a big market. So I said, well, let's look at this grill. And the idea originally was they had developed it as a fajita maker. And the reason it was slanted was you'd put it on the edge of the table, cooked ground hamburger, and then scrape it into your fajita shell or taco shell. And so obviously sales weren't going well for that. George Foreman had just won the heavyweight championship of the world. He was the oldest one. He was 46 years old. So he was in the headlines. And he was, I remember reading a story about him, how he used to eat a lot of hamburgers and his weight. This is when he lost to Muhammad Ali way back in Battle in Zaire in Africa. And so he was depressed, ate a lot of hamburgers, his weight ballooned up. And so he was kind of known at the time for eating a lot of hamburgers. And it just a coincidence, serendipity. His agent was looking for products for him to endorse. Somehow we connected. And so we hooked George up. And it's a classic from a marketing perspective. You know, one of the things I talk about in my branding book is teaching people about positioning. And we're changing the George Foreman grill from a fajita maker actually to a grill that cooks your food twice as fast and helps remove some of the fat. And so people at the time in cooking, the people that would do the cooking in the home, were always looking for ways to cook their food quicker. And the fact that this grill cooked food on both sides and also had the added benefit of draining away from the fat made it a, you know, kind of an instant hit. And so that was a kind of a funny story. You know, George got involved in it. And, you know, one other thing that's interesting, everyone knows that the Foreman Grill became really, really successful. I think they've sold more than 100 million units. But for a long time, the answer to a sports trivia question was, what's the richest endorsement deal ever? And when Sultan bought George out, because he was doing a profit sharing model, when Sultan bought George out of his endorsement deal, they paid him $130 million. And at the time, that was the most that any athlete had received for any type of endorsement. Since then, those numbers are, you know, that number is small. But back when this happened in the late 90s, that was a big number. Wow. And it's such an alignment at the time because you have to have a personality that is involved with this as well as the way that you reconfigured what was the unique proposition, the unique benefit of this product. But, you know, George Foreman, when he first was heavyweight champion, you know, he was kind of a quiet bruiser type. I'm going to use a bad word, like he was a thug. And that's just because of his upbringing. You know, he came from a broken home. And people really looked at him as a bully. And then when he dropped out of, you know, after he lost that bout to Muhammad Ali, he really dropped out of boxing for 10 years. And when he came back, his personality changed. I found out personally that he became a minister. And every week he lived down in Houston, he would go and teach a sermon at his church. And so his whole life changed. And when he came back this second time, his personality was totally different and people fell in love with him. And so you couldn't have asked for a better spokesperson for a product than George turned out to be. So let's talk a little bit about how some of these principles, I know you have a lot of specific tips and some guidance for using video today. A lot of our listeners might say, hey, that's a really interesting stories and it's great, but what I do, maybe I provide, we have an insurance agency or we have you know, a manufacturing business or something that might not have at the surface the same kind of visual wow factor as OxyClean is getting the stains out right before our eyes or 
George Foreman is grilling burgers and telling stories and jokes. GoPro is another example I know you're prepared to talk about, obviously has this wow factor as a visual component. So if someone has a less, let's say, visually arresting type of business or offering that they have, where can they best bring in video, be it through testimonials or demos, or what do you see as the ways that for something that may be less obvious that they can bring in video today? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, if we step back, it ties into what your book is all about and your podcast, which is Manage Your Message. And regardless of what your product or service is, you have to come up with what makes you different, what makes you unique. And that's something you mentioned, your unique selling proposition. But you have to figure out how you can be different than everybody else or everybody else in your category or find a different category where you can stand out. And that's probably job one or rule one that people need to do is differentiate themselves or their service or their product. And every one of those products that you mentioned, you know, the Sonicare, the George Foreman Grill, the GoPro, they all basically differentiated themselves. I mean, there are millions of cameras in the marketplace. How did GoPro become a billion dollar company? We can talk about that more in a minute, but it all has starts with the message and the differentiation of the product or the service. Now, video is just a delivery vehicle. And again, we have to step back a little bit and look at what is happening in society right now, that we're becoming a video first society. You know, there's just some pretty amazing statistics out there that right now, every second, almost 17,000 hours of new video will be produced. Forbes reports that there's been more video produced in the last 30 days than the television networks produced in the last 30 years. And then by the end of this year, nearly 80% of all internet traffic will be in the form of video. So like it or not, you and I both like to read. We've written books. People are reading less and they're watching more. And so the reason for using video is really once you have established your message, your differentiation, your USP, video is a great communication vehicle to get your message out there. So that's kind of really the basic or the foundation of what I try to teach or show people about the benefits of video, that you're just using it to kind of tap into the mainstream. I like to fish. And so I have a saying, as a marketing saying, that you need to fish where the fish are, you know, so you have a better chance of catching them. Well, if people are watching video, more video now, that's what you need to be doing as a way of delivering your message. And to take the fishing analogy to its illogical end, uh, Rick, so you know, there's been an explosion in video on both the ease of producing and also the ease of distributing. So we've got lots of fish and seemingly endless pond that's there as well. So obviously, whether it be through GoPro or through our phones and all these other technologies, it's never been easier to capture video. It's also never been easier to, through a website, through YouTube, through whatever, to share that with the world, but that makes for a very big, noisy environment. So given those opportunities of fishing where the fish are, how do you, whether it be a big business, small business, someone who's really just getting started approaching video marketing, how do you think strategically to, to start thinking about that? It goes to what I said about really honing or crafting their message. 
And then you need to not only have it in the form, you know, written form of what your message is, you're putting it on video. So then you have to think about what are the distribution platforms that serve for video today? And so I'll be honest with you, I'm 62 years old. I'm not very, you could call me technologically challenged. And yet I have all my social media channels and I leverage video like I have my own YouTube channel, which makes sense because my whole background is in video. So I would say to, for the younger people that really understand social media, which channels are working, if they could use one of the social media channels, Instagram, and, you know, the statistics on video, they just don't end. You know, viewers retain 95% of a message when they watch it on video compared to 10% in a text. So to answer your question directly is pick out one channel that you feel comfortable with, whether that's Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Facebook makes it easy to do Facebook Live right now. So if you wanted to deliver your message through Facebook using video, all you have to do is go to your Facebook page or your company Facebook page and push a button and you can do that. Pick a channel that you're comfortable with that you can start with. Everyone, no one starts with a large following. You and I were having a conversation before the podcast began about getting started and getting a bigger following. You have to start somewhere. And then the key to everything whether it's podcasts, whether it's video, Facebook Live, whatever you're doing is just consistency. I went to PodFest down in Orlando last year because they had a special section about developing your YouTube channel and I wanted to learn more. But I also you know, sat through the podcasting section of it and they had some of the top podcasters in the country, a guy named John Lee Dumas. I don't know if you've heard of him. He does Entrepreneurs on Fire. And when he started his podcast, He did 2,000 straight podcasts. So he didn't become an overnight success, but he was consistent in what he was doing. And so that's what I would say to answer your question is start doing a little video. There's easy ways to do it. Like you said, you can use your iPhone for some of the other channels. You can do Facebook Lives and then just keep doing it. And I always use the snowball analogy. You start a really small snowball rolling down the hill and it's really, really small. But as it gets down the hill, it grows and grows and grows but it doesn't happen instantaneously or magically overnight. It does take time and work and effort, but the key is to just be consistent into the channel that you use. And John Lee Dumas is a great example of being both consistent and persistent with his podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire. He decided he was going to do something every single day. And as you say, Rick, he said, look, it was not like I got immediate traction. He had to stay at it. Now he has a great flywheel for multiple businesses and multiple streams of income. Yeah. And that didn't happen overnight. That was a five or six year process. And I'm not saying every situation is like that, but there's very few people. And you know, you interview a lot of people, Jim, and you do talks and business. There's very few situations you run into where people are an overnight success. There's usually a lot of hard work that goes into it. And so hopefully we can provide some of the tools but you still need to go out and do the work to become successful. And Rick, I know you have some specific tips and different settings of way to use video, be it demos and at trade shows and the like, and certainly get you to share some of those tips. But one thing first, because this might be something that prompts people to hesitate, as you say, being able to kind of get started, pick something out. And I'm curious your view about this, the degree of polish, if you will, 
in video. It's easy to produce video. It's easy to produce really bad looking video, but it's also using the tool in your pocket, easy to do things that these days look pretty good. So do you have a thought in terms of how much polish is needed and if that is changing over time as well in order for your video to stand out and reflect well on you and your brand? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's another one where if you contrast it the way it used to be in video production, and the reason it was hard for people to make video is it was so expensive because the camera gear and the editing gear was all so expensive that, you know, for me to go out and do a day of shooting testimonials where I had to hire a camera that might cost $50,000 and then a, a cameraman to operate it and another guy, an audio guy to do the audio, it was just cost prohibitive unless you had a way to use the video to get a good ROI. But, you know, the beauty of society today and social media is people are used to looking at bad video. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. People are just using their iPhones or Android devices to create video. And they're amazing devices because they shoot better video now than those $50,000 cameras I was talking about. You know, their 4K technology, a high definition. And so the two little tips that I give everybody that if you want to make your videos look a little better is really to buy a simple light. You can go on Amazon and they sell this little lights for, I have one sitting on my desk here that I use when I do some Facebook lives. I think it was cost like $39 or something. And it's like a little circle. I forget the name of it. And then also buy some type of inexpensive microphone because the two things that when you talk about not producing good video, it's not the video itself that's bad. It's usually the audio quality and the lighting. And if you can just fix those two things and for under $100, you can get decent microphone and a decent light, that'll go a long way to making your videos look much more professional. And you don't want to go too overboard because people are used to looking at raw video, authentic video on social media and if something's overproduced, that can backfire on you as well. And so I've become more of a bigger advocate to, you know, more authentic looking video that, you know, if I go to a trade show, I might shoot something on my iPhone and just making sure I have lights or something there and it's not overly produced. So just from a standpoint of making something look and sound a little better, those two little tips would go a long way. As you say, not terribly expensive of improving the lighting and making sure that the audio can keep up with the quality of the video as well. Rick, I wonder as well, going back to when we first started talking about winning in the time of couch surfing, right? People are going through and finding something that looked interesting and as we would say today, engaging. So with so many options and so much video that's out there, so structurally, how do you recommend that people think about making their video engaging, the kind of thing that from the outset, people will understand what it's about, they'll find value in it, and they'll stick with it for more than a few seconds? That's a great question. And so there's going to be kind of a twofold answer. So the first is, you know, you and I were talking, Jim, and I know you do a lot of speaking. And I've always used a very simple formula for a lot of videos that I've done. And you've probably read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. 
And he had a very simple formula for giving a speech. You know, tell people what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said. And, you know, you can see I've used that formula, even as simple as it sounds, as old as it is, it works. And if you really closely look at some of the structure of the commercials I've done and the direct response shows and the infomercials, you'll see I do an introduction, which is a summary overview of what's going to be coming up. But it's done in the way that it's like a tease of you're going to be finding out more about this. So you're capturing people's attention in the first few seconds or minute of the video, if it's a longer video. And then you get into the body of the show and you're talking about whatever it is, the product, and then you summarize the whole thing. So that one structure to keep in mind, and you can go even deeper into that structure, which I have a lot more of those ideas in my video persuasion book. But the second part of that answer to your question is really, what is the kind of content that people are looking at online? And the answer to that question are really three categories. More people are watching tutorial videos, and all that is is like a how-to video. You know, think of cooking recipes. Then there are demonstration videos, and that's basically where you're demonstrating a product of how it works. And it's a little bit different than a tutorial. Think more of a tutorial as more of like an instruction guide. The demonstration is really showing the benefits of a product and how it works and things it can do for you and make your life easier. And then the last type of video that people really respond to, and you've brought this up a little bit before, are testimonials. And so one of the things that anybody that wants to start incorporating video to help their business do better, if they can take that third one, the testimonials, and have video testimonials. We talked about how people remember more when they see it on a video versus reading it. So video testimonials, if you have any type of e-commerce site, any way that you want to help promote your business in the marketplace, if you could spend a day or two reaching out to your customer database and getting people to agree to do a video testimonial for you, that's probably what I consider one of the most powerful marketing tools. And you know, anybody that's ever watched an infomercial out there, direct online video that's selling a product, the ones that work the best have very strong, authentic testimonials as part of their selling message. And likely have testimonials from people. You think about who your buyer or prospective buyer is, they would see some connection. They would say, that person's like me, or that person was trying to solve for a problem like the one that I have today. And so uh, just to follow up on what Rick is recommending here too. So if you have a pretty tight sense of who that buyer persona is, if it's kind of one type of person or one specific type of problem, make sure that's reflected in the testimonials and people can tell their story. And if you have maybe different segments, two or three or four different types of buyers, and uh, you guess, Rick, over time, you want a, a collection of testimonials so that the full breadth of your types of buyers are represented in those testimonials too. I go into a lot of detail in my book, Video Persuasion, but one of the things I just talked about, the three most common types of content and how to make it, I actually have a free download, Jim, that if people go to my website, which is rickcesari.com, 
they can get this free download that really goes into detail on tutorial videos, demonstration videos, and testimonial videos. But I really want to respond to what you just said, that testimonials are what I consider, having been in marketing for 25 years, the single most powerful tool for selling any product or service, as long as they're real testimonials of people that have used your product or service. And you'd be shocked at how many companies don't tap their customer client database to get people to say something nice about the company. I find that people are afraid, the company owners are afraid of asking people to give a testimonial. And I've always found the reverse to be true, that people are, if they are happy with your company or happy with their product or service, they're really happy to give you a good testimonial. And those are the authentic testimonials from actual customers or clients that have been using your product or service that are going to help you sell that to other people. And then talking about commenting on what you just said, the more you have of those, the more you're going to influence somebody. If somebody sees somebody that looks like them or comes across like them, they're going to tune in and listen to that person because there's a comfort level and you're breaking down the barriers. And there's a whole levels of persuasion. There's a great book that I recommend called Influence by Robert Caldini. Caldini. Yeah. And he has six persuasion principles. And I leverage those all the time in the videos I'm making. And one of those is persuasion principle of liking that people respond to somebody that they like. And so how could you not like a real customer testimonial that is similar to yourself. And that's one of the ways that generate response from people. But anyway, that's a great book if people want to get it as far as learning about some of the persuasion techniques. Message Manager listeners, we will put links to Rick's book, to that great book. And it is one of the ones that I recommend the most called Influence from Robert Cialdini. The other links in our show description as well. But Rick, before we end, you had mentioned GoPro and some lessons from that, the story with GoPro. And I know you believe that that example has lessons for entrepreneurs generally. So what is it from your experience with GoPro, what you saw them do and not do that you think the rest of us can learn from? Well, GoPro is a great story and it brings up a lot of interesting things. And and I'll just tell you how I got involved. And one of the important things, you know, you mentioned all these brands that people are familiar with, like Sonic Care and Rug Doctor and Juice Man and George Foreman Grill. I want the listeners to understand that they weren't big brands that hired me to come in after they were big. Almost every one of these companies was doing less than a million dollars in sales. And I was able to come in and use a combination of video and direct response marketing principles that I didn't invent that have been used for years and years and years going back to direct mail and print catalogs just to show you these strategies and techniques work regardless of delivery channel. But the GoPro story is a fun one. Sometimes I'll go to trade shows and walk around to look for new products. And I was at the outdoor retailing trade show in Salt Lake City. And there was this guy there, there was a Volkswagen bus on the trade show floor. And it was like a beach scene, a beach chair and an umbrella, some sand on the floor. And so Nick Woodman, the founder of the company, was selling these GoPro cameras out of the back of his Volkswagen bus. His background was he was a surfer. And the reason he invented the GoPro camera, there wasn't a camera out there that he could use to take pictures of himself surfing. And he couldn't afford a professional photographer 
like pro surfers could. So that was kind of why I invented the camera. But early marketing was all to uh, surf shops. And so I met Nick there. We struck up a conversation. I told him I thought he had a great product that I could help market. Literally a week after the show ended, he flew up to Seattle and we had lunch on Lake Union, which is where Amazon's located, South Lake Union area. We had lunch at a little restaurant there. And I have to give Nick credit. From the minute he sat down, we started talking about building a business. And he already had a vision in his mind that he was going to build a billion dollar business with this little camera. And so here's a guy that invents a camera in his garage going up against Kodak, Polaroid, Sony, you know, all the huge camera makers. And what he did is a lesson in positioning as far as finding a category that nobody's in that you can dominate. So what category did he pick? I don't know if he did this by accident or whatever, but it was extreme sports. So he developed a camera that extreme sport athletes could use, mountain bikers, snowboarders, people that jump off cliffs and wingsuits. And really, the camera technology was good, but it wasn't anything that any of the other cameras tech companies didn't have. But basically, what he did was he came up with mounts that let you mount it on the end of the surfboard, let it mount it on a ski pole, let you mount it on a helmet. And so you could turn around the camera to really record what you were doing. And it coincided with the selfie boom with cameras so that people love to take pictures of themselves. Social media was exploding. And so he was able to come up with this camera technology and position it as a camera for extreme athletes. And basically, one of the way that this took off now, and and I'll pull all this together, is when we talked about making commercials for this, for TV commercials, a normal ad agency would probably just do what I would call a brand commercial, which is, you know, GoPro cameras neat. We show people jumping off a cliff or, you know, whatever, mountain biking or skiing, whatever. But Nick and I incorporated a direct response principle, and we had a call to action at the end of each spot. And that's really important. And I go into a lot of detail in my book about this is when you're making a demonstration video, you have to have a call to action. You have to tell people what to do. And I tell you how to structure that call to action. Well, in the case of the GoPro camera, we started each 30 second commercial out with a brand logo. So right away, going back to what I said, tell them what you're going to say. You knew the commercial was about GoPro. Then we used user-generated footage in the middle, and that was footage that we didn't have to go out and shoot. People were sending it to GoPro, the different extreme athletes. And then at the end, this is the direct response part. We said, go to our website and someone will win one of everything we make every single day. So three great things happened by offering that call to action. One, people would go to the website, and in order to register for the contest, they would leave their name and email address. So we were starting a database that we could remarket to later. Two, they would go to the website, and they would see all the other cool videos that were on there. Again, user-generated footage, and they would share it with their friends, and it created a viral effect, which helped the company grow. And the third thing that happened, which is, you know, good old basic direct response, people would purchase the camera so that when we would spend money on advertising, we would be getting it back in the camera sales. And it enabled a small company to really grow. And they grew from a couple million in sales when I started working with them to over a billion dollars. And they went public 
And the day that they went public, Nick had sent me an email from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange saying, thanks for all your help. And everything we talked about at lunch that day in Seattle is coming true. So it was really gratifying to see that happen. So it's again, it's a perfect example of how a little entrepreneur can come in and take on the big companies just using some video and some good direct response strategies that really are open to anybody to use once you learn and understand the principles. Wow, Rick, that's a great and, of course, true story. And I think it also underscores that oftentimes it's that entrepreneur, that inventor who can try more things, who can move a little faster than the big guys can. And so in many ways, have a built-in advantage. Mm -hmm. This has been a great conversation. Rick Cesare, a legend from way back in doing wonderful, innovative work today that all of us, whether you have a big business, small business, new business, I think can take these principles and apply them into our video age. Rick, tell us how we can keep up with you, see some of these tips learn more about your book. We're going to have these links into the show description, but how can we follow you and what you're doing? Thanks for offering that. The best thing for people to do is to really go to my website, which is rickcesari.com. And my first name is Rick, R-I-C-K, but my last name is spelled C-E-S-A-R-I, rickcesari.com. And there you can get that free download we talked about, about the three best types of video content. But also, there'll be a place if you want to pre-order the book, Video Persuasion. It'll be released October 1st. And then also, if you want to look at some of the videos I've produced, my YouTube channel is rickcesari.tv. So that area, I have a lot of really good blogs. goes into more depth on a lot of the questions you asked me today, Jim. So use it as a resource. There's lots of great information there to help people get started in their video journey. And I just wanted to thank you for being such a great host and asking such great questions. Well, it's a treat to have you here. And we have learned from you here. And we will use that as a resource to continue to learn from you. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast. My thanks to Rick Cesare for joining us on the podcast. Really interesting to hear not only the backstories going all the way back to the Juice Man and the George Foreman Grill and uh, going up to the modern day and some tips about engagement and calling an audience to action that will work for you and me here in the present day and in current technology and current platforms. Hey, I'm very pleased that you joined the podcast. Whether you are a returning message manager or perhaps this is your first time in, welcome. We continue to build momentum and that's because so many of you have been recommending us to your friends and colleagues, leaving those five-star ratings. If you haven't yet done so, please take just a few seconds and tap subscribe on your way out and offer your five-star rating and review. That helps everyone find this podcast and get value from it as well. There's another free business messaging resource available to you, one you can read, the Message Manager Memo. It comes to your email inbox each week, a brief read with something you can put to work right away. You can sign up at my website, jimcarr.com, J-I-M-K-A-R-R-H.com. And while you're there, you very likely know of a professional association or company full of people looking for ways to improve their professional conversations and to grow their business. On my website, you'll see a speaking page as well as a related page for event professionals, people trying to find speakers and other ideas for making in-person events memorable and valuable. I list three keynote and session topics, all based upon practical learnings you can get from my new book, 
the science of customer connections, manage your message to grow your business. And all are tailored to the themes of your meeting and the needs of your participants. Nothing is canned. My programs are designed to not only be engaging in the moment, but also to provide the basis for business growth for months and even years afterward. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com. We can set up a time to talk by phone if you like, or you can reach right out. My direct number is also on the website. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at manageyourmessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.